0: This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals.
1: Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. I've been doing some research on what's most important to business leaders and I've heard three major themes. Number one, their employees are burned out and feel overwhelmed. Number two, they're concerned about customer retention. And number three, they want to address customer friction, whether it's controllable or not, but they need actionable results. As a result, I've created the 120-day Quick Start, a four-step program designed to go from current state assessment to specific strategies to get you actionable results in 120 days. If you want to make a quick impact, Check out empoweredcx.com for more information. I'd love to talk to you.
0: But the key is prioritization, right? You're going to have to prove that focusing on experience drives business value or outcomes. Honestly, if, if I had to boil it down, CX efforts should either make you money or save you money. Um, you know, and in times of limited resources, we, we literally can't afford to focus on the wrong things.
1: Well, my guest on the show today is Allison Landers, and she is the chief experience officer for banking and lending at UBS. Allison, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Mark.
1: Well, there are so many ways people get involved in customer experience, employee experience, experience management. Can you share with us the way that you entered into this world?
0: Yes, uh, but before we get started, I I definitely want to thank you for having me. It is really such an honor. I've listened to most of your podcast interviews. Uh, You've interviewed people I have followed, people I have admired, read books by. Um, So really excited for this conversation today. Um, So how did I get into CX? Um, First, I think it is helpful to remind ourselves what CX is, right? It is a customer's perception of a company based on all of their interactions with that company. And in my career, I've held a pretty wide variety of roles. I've done traditional marketing for digital firms, digital marketing for traditional firms, traditional product management, digital product management. I've run channels like digital and contact centers. I've run sales and service P&Ls these are all jobs that are in charge of defining and delivering customer experiences, right? Um, I always have uh, also been a dot connector. and um, So I like to say that I have been doing CX for my entire 25 plus year career. We just didn't always know to call it that. Um, I officially didn't get the title of CX until 2015. Um, but I was trained really early on um, to think about things from a customer's point of view. Uh, literally, my first job was as a copywriter for a company called CompuServe. And if you sure. aren't sure. as old as me and you don't remember, CompuServe was an Internet service provider that was owned by h Block before mm-hmm. they were uh, uh, taken over by AOL. Um, And it was 1997 and we only allowed our customers to cancel their service by calling into our call center. And we would get the team together every week over a free pizza lunch. And we would listen into what we call this cancel queue and try to understand why our customers were quitting us, right, or what, if anything, we could offer or do to make them stay Um, and this valuable information we used right to inform our product development our marketing messages our servicing scripts um, it helped us change policies and processes and pricing. Um, so I just share that as an example of of kind of how I grew up in CX. Um, there were similar experiences at other firms. You know, for example, at AOL, we tested everything. Um, you know, before we we went live, or or just when we went live, to understand why things worked or didn't work. Um, At most other firms, you know, significant leveraging of market research or competitive intelligence or customer feedback, you know, to make data driven decisions. But um, in a nutshell, when you figure out, you know, something that works for you and and helps you uh, do your job better, show up like a rock star, you know, you kind of stick with it.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, such an interesting uh, background. And now, you know, you are, um, I think, the, the chief experience officer. So let's talk about that because I know you and I had a conversation about the intentionality of the title. And for those listening, um, you know, which you also mentioned customer experience, client experience, um, and CX and the organization, you know, for professionals is called the CX Professionals Association. But you intentionally chose Chief Experience Officer, tell us why.
0: Good question, fair question, yeah. right? So um, it is experience instead of client experience because we have a responsibility. My team has a responsibility both for the client experience and the employee experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I wanted to drop the C that references customers or clients because I didn't want to limit. Um, what it is that our team was was known for, um, and there's such a connection, right, between the client experience and the employee experience, especially you know uh, currently in a wealth management world where so many of our interactions, you know, are are faced off with a client from a financial advisor. So you have to think of the employee experience in delivery of the client experience. Um, But also, uh, equally as important is thinking about the employees as clients themselves, Mm -hmm. right? I need our employees to use our products and services. Um, I need their feedback, right? Because even in pilot mode, um, I need their feedback on on the experience so that I can make it better uh, for our clients, um, and when they go through that experience, and it's a good experience, right? Then that's what leads to advocacy, um, and and obviously that's what I need, right? And and want is the employees to be advocates, especially the financial advisors, you know, with our our end clients.
1: Yeah, well, a great a great point. The link between you know EX and CX is so so strong. I love the way that you talk about really what we we're talking about is being empathetic. To what the customers are going through right yes um so so in this um in our discussion about ex and cx um we're presuming somehow that there's a differentiation that brands can enjoy if they excel at this what why do you believe cx is a differentiator
0: yeah um fantastic question so again it- I talked about being a copywriter. My undergraduate degree was in advertising, and you know, at that time, I was trained right that brands, you know, could define themselves by things like their their Super Bowl commercials, <laughs> right? You know, a company like Coca Cola could put on a really cool ad, and if they told you drinking Coca Cola made you popular and skinny, you know, you believed it and you bought it. Um, right. But as we we talked about a, a couple of minutes ago. Brands are now defined by customers mm. and the based on their experiences with a brand. Um, so I think back to when I first got into financial services, which was uh, in 2005, after nearly a decade in the dot-com space. And it happened by mistake after my startup's funding got pulled. Um, but at the time, consumers had really, really low expectations for the financial services industry you know and it, and that was based on their experience right they expected that their bank or their insurance company was going to be really really hard to work with um and and i remember uh, i don't remember the source but i remember reading a report um that tied financial services um for last place on the experience front with government-owned agencies like Ouch. the postal service or the dmv right Ouch. <laughs> Uh, And we generally accepted that at the time. You know, there wasn't a ton of innovation. Um, Focus was really spent on, you know, if a competitor launched something, copying what that direct competitor had. Um, So I would fast forward to today, nearly, you know, 20 years later. This is no longer the case, customers are now comparing us, and that's my company, that's your company, right? To every other experience they're having with every other brand in every other channel. So you take leaders, right? And there's a enormous laundry list, your Amazons, your Apples, your Disney's, your Zappos, right? Your Ritz-Carlton's, that's who's setting the bar. It's, It's not the bank across the street anymore. And they are continuing to raise it. And the companies that pale in comparison, they're literally not surviving, right? And it's not just enough anymore to check the box and offer a product or a capability. It has to be easy to find and and easy to use. and I know there's uh, tons of research that your listeners um, probably have read, as I have, that prove, you know, that customer focused firms perform better. Um, I know I listened to your podcast with Fred, and he was talking about his fund of NPS leaders, right? and how that fund outperformed the Vanguard index, I think by by threefold, right right?. right. Um, you know, 2020 and this was pre-pandemic was the first year that experience surpassed products and pricing as the number one driver of consumers picking a brand. Um, You know, customers are saying that they're willing to pay for a better experience. So um, based on all of this, I would say, not only has experience become a differentiator, uh, I would argue it is actually the differentiator for a brand.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I 100% agree and I, I'd love to tap into, I'm so glad that you started off by talking about the definition of CX and 100% agree with you. I've seen all these definitions, but 100% agree with you about this idea of the customer's perception of the experience they have. And I wanted to just double tap on that with you. Um, could you say a little bit more of that when you think when we talk about perception, like to the average person listening, um, isn't it just nuts and bolts? Isn't it just what we do and what we deliver? Why? What is this perception? How does that play into it?
0: Uh, yeah, that's a That's another good question, because I think um, one of the important skills of a CX professional is the ability to be honest. Right. So, a lot of times when I talk to folks and I explain what CX is, it's a customer's perception of a brand. You know, you have to follow that up by saying it's not what we think it is or wish it was,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: it's actually what it is. Um, and you know, I, customer experience is end to end and it's omnichannel. Right. And um, so I I think that's what you need to keep in in mind. Right. Is you could have nine out of ten fantastic interactions and it's the one time you need to use the app or call the call center. Right. That there's a failure um, that can undo a lot of really great work. Um, So a lot of time is spent understanding Uh, how either single interactions or, you know, specific experiences, some people call them journeys, like opening an account or returning something, Mm -hmm. making a claim, um, how those, you know, impact the overall relationship and the overall perception of your brand, because they do. Um, and, you know, I like to think of all of those uh, individual interactions or journeys as opportunities to either add or take away from that perception. Um, so that that seems to help ground people into every interaction mattering.
1: Yeah, so so well said. I, I so appreciate that. And I think if you are a business owner, business leader, um, to really have a grasp of what every aspect, as you say, Allison, the journey that they go through and what are some potential moments of truth, moments that matter, because everything that you have worked on up to that point that you've poured into advertising and people and uh, branding and every, I mean, could literally either make or break.
0: Oh, and it's 100%, right? You could have the best marketing or advertising campaign on the planet. If you are driving people to a subpar experience, you're going to do more damage than help.
1: Yes. Well said. So, with that said, um, I'd I'd love to get your perspective because really, you not only do you know CX and EX, but you're you're experienced at coming in sort of midstream into into certain organizations and saying, okay, what do we need to do now? Like, what should we do? And I would say uh, this would also apply if you never even had a formalized CX program, you know, uh, or I hate to use the word program, discipline, uh, because it's not programs begin and have an ending and C, CX doesn't end, right? Yes. Um, but but what, what advice would you have if you and you have taken over a, a practice for either something new or something existing What would be like the first thing you would want to focus on?
0: Okay, great question. So um, my last three roles have officially been CX roles. Um, and they've all been at Global Fortune 500 firms, which maybe at face value makes you think that it would be the same job over and over. It's not true um, because all of these firms were at different stages of, of CX maturity. Mm-hmm. So one of the firms had no CX function when I stepped in. One of the firms had a what I would categorize as a nascent CX function. And the last firm had an existing but very highly federated function. Can I double tap
1: on that for some people? When you say federated, could you explain what that means?
0: Sure. Um, In this situation, it meant that there may not have been a centralized experience team, which I was hired to build and lead. But there were groups of varying sizes and, and capabilities that sat in each line of business, or uh, the different channels, times even within the functions um, that were doing CX work. And again, the definition can be varied because it might just mean one group was doing a survey, and another group was doing something, you know, more mature, like designing journeys. That's what I mean. So you've got these groups and silos, potentially doing great work, but not sharing, not communicating. So that opportunity is different because you bring everybody together and you talk about things like standards, right? And best practice sharing. Um, Because again, to customers, customers think of these firms as one company, whether they're buying a single product from you, multiple products, they're walking into your store, they're calling your call center, they're using your app. It's just one company. So when you approach client experience, customer experience in silos, you are actually working against how customers expect you to show up, right? You need that consistency across all the lines of business, all of the channels.
1: Well well said. Thank you. Yes, it's one, it's one company and customers really don't care.
0: No, they don't know and they certainly don't care.
1: Right, right. Well said. Um, so, uh, so, grabbing, grabbing your, the reins now yes. of going after this, what do, what do you think? What advice would you have?
0: Yes, got it. So, again, three pretty different situations yeah. of firms, and I use the same approach. So, I know it works. Um, the first thing you have to do is you have to learn the business. Um, and that might include learning a new industry. I, you know, I was new to insurance, for example, um, or just learning a new company, right? And and no two companies even in the same industry are the same. It certainly means figuring out who the local players are. Um, I give myself like the first 60 days to do a listening tour, meet with the team you inherited if you are lucky enough to inherit a team, you know, peers and partners. um, You got to get a handle on what you know about your customers. And that comes both from these employees and also customers directly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to, I know we talked about honesty a little earlier. You have to start to honestly assess the current state experience. And the best way to do that is to buy and use your products and services. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not doing that, how can you ask other people to do it? Um, There's also work to be done to understand, do you have any tools in place, right? Um, Gauge the culture and the CX maturity, you know, is the firm product or customer focused? If they are customer focused, is it only in words or is it also in reality? Um, You know, what is working versus versus not? So lots of homework to do out of the gate.
1: And, and this, um, this process for you, um, unearthed some pretty, pretty important information for you to move forward, like
0: with,
1: without which maybe you've stepped, you would have stepped into a pothole or two.
0: Yes. Yeah. Right. So then after your first 60 days, you've gathered this mountain of information, you got to take the time to make sense of it, right? And and pull together your point of view or your opportunity analysis, right? You know, what are the gaps that need to be filled? What are the best practices, you know, the standard best practices that maybe you've deployed elsewhere um, that should be applied and how should they be applied, right? Because again, no two firms, no two situations are exactly the same. So if you try to apply things the same way it worked elsewhere, it won't work. Um, And to start to vet, you know, your um, findings with the handful of people that you deem trusted partners or peers, right. From, from those one-on-one conversations. And you're listening to our, you know, your boss, your leadership team, your board. And so, so that's kind of how you round out the, the first 90 days.
1: Yeah. And um, with this, with this uh, concept of, listening and getting to know both the company the industry the competition um, what what resources are currently in place uh, there are people that you want to build relationships with stakeholders in any change management uh, model there's key, key, key stakeholder analysis is part of
0: Hold on. I can't hear you. I'm sure that's
1: something that you started to, is that, is that correct?
0: Yeah. Sorry. You went, you cut out, but I I can hear you. Yes. Um, So this is actually a, a pretty easy answer. You know, the way to build relationships and trust is by doing what you say you're going to do. It is all about execution, right? CX is all about execution. And I highly recommend that, you know, um, you look for quick wins to build the momentum right to get that flywheel spinning because you have to signal not only to your peers you know the employees but also to your customers that something is changing um, because that is what's going to get you the greater support and the investment right to, to build out a bigger program.
1: Allison, you mentioned the end-to-end experience for customers and could you talk about the importance of onboarding for customers and in particular in the b2b space?
0: So um, at every firm I've worked at onboarding or the new client experience whatever you want to call it right um, has been a focus uh, right because um, if you don't do a good job with that right? You're going to end up with shell accounts or, or shell relationships, right? Uh, a, a bank account, for example, that might have no money in it or, or no payment set up because you were just so hard to work with that the people go away. Um, and that's actually an example of how you know I've been able to bridge the gap across lines of business, right? Because it doesn't really matter what you are buying from a firm, there is an onboarding process. And maybe my division's onboarding process is slightly different than your division's onboarding process. But how do we as a firm want to show up, right? You know, um, one of the firms that I worked for in the B2B space had sometimes a multi-year sales cycle right, you could be pursuing a big B2B client for years. And we learned when um, we won the business, and we asked for feedback, that after years of courting companies, we then took up to two weeks to thank them for coming on board. Right. So that was an example of, of something in the onboarding process that within 24 hours of winning the business, obviously, depending on the size of the client, you got a phone call from all the way up to the president saying thank you right and and if it then took two weeks to get whatever ducks you needed to to get in a row to start the process that was fine um but you know you you needed to acknowledge the sale
1: allison i think it can really feel overwhelming for a cx leader or someone leading the CX Charge and organization, when they first get started and they gather all this information, what would be your recommendation for them to really get focused?
0: Yeah, so there is a saying, I don't know, I don't know if you've heard this, that CX can either be everything to a company or it could be nothing. So um, as a CX practitioner, you need to make sure that you are clearly articulating what it is that you or your team will or will not do, right? And, and we talked a lot about assessments, whether it's those first 60 days of conversations or you know, your, your listening program, you're casting a wide net. You're gonna identify a lot of opportunities. If you try to chase after all of the opportunities, right, good luck to you. You need to focus. Um, so what I have found to be successful, and I will say this is hard. So it's it's gonna sound a whole heck of a lot easier than it is actually to do, but it it is doable. Um, I've done it multiple times. You gotta pull all of your feedback together. And this is voice of the customer feedback. This is the employee feedback, surveys, ratings and reviews, calls, chats, tweets, third party benchmark stuff, operational data, pull it all into a single pot and stir it up. But the key is prioritization, right? You're going to have to prove, but the key is prioritization. Right. You're going to have to prove that focusing on experience drives business value or outcomes. Honestly, if, if I had to boil it down, CX efforts should either make you money or save you money. Um, you know, and in times of limited resources, we we literally can't afford to focus on the wrong things. Lever, right? What's the value of the customer or the value of the interaction that needs fixing? So, for example, if somebody is trying to purchase something from you, that's a pretty critical interaction. That is more important, right, to complete conversion on than changing an address. And changing an address, you know, might be more important if today they call your call center at $6 a pop than, you know, trying to to do that self-service online for free, right? Um, And lastly, there's the emotion piece. How broken is your current experience? You know, how many calls or complaints are you getting on a topic? If you are surveying, for example, about this feedback or you get ratings and reviews on the topic, you don't start with the things that are generating eights out of tens you know, or the four stars, you're looking for the clunkers, you're looking for the zeros, the twos, the one stars. Um, But that's on the business side, you know, we do acknowledge that a lot of CX initiatives today require technology, right, especially if the answer is is digital, you're going to have to factor in how much it's going to cost and how long it's going to take. So let's say you did the volume value emotion exercise and and you come up with your clear business number one. If you learn that it's gonna take 10 years or $10 million to get that done, that's not where you're gonna start, right? So to your point earlier, identify areas where you have control or influence, start to drive change there. You know, if if you can go after the top Um, customer irritant or employee irritant, your low-hanging fruit, fix that and then move on to the next one. Um, We also talked earlier about, you know, showing up more consistently as a single firm, right? The way that customers think about you. That's that dot connecting skill um, that I mentioned. You get bonus points for identifying efforts, right? Like, onboarding, right? Or, or where you can lift up multiple lines of businesses or channels or client segments. So that could be a, a new vendor capability, that could be you know, applying standards um, across the, the board. Um, and you will know when you are successful because you will have these formerly siloed teams working together. And, you know, coming, coming to consensus.
1: Well, you just laid out a beautiful blueprint for any CX leader on how to attack uh, CX in an organization that they just stepped into, perhaps in the middle of the river flow and need to figure out how to how to prioritize what to do first. I love the way you set it up and and you talked about bonus points for connecting dots and really what, what amounts to breaking down silos. But there are times when you have really important things that need to get done. Some are big rocks, some are small rocks, um, but they all need to get done. How would you recommend that a CX leader approach that?
0: Right, right. Or do things in parallel, right? I I often talk about like build big boulder projects. You know, you got to keep your hand on the back of the big boulder so it doesn't roll backwards and and swoosh you. Um all the while you're going after those quick wins and and kind of generating the momentum. So you shouldn't not go after that number one priority that requires technology. You just can't only go after that.
1: Well, prioritizing which projects should get done and, and putting them into your CX roadmap is a critical thing and it's i guess it's part art and part science and you did a great job of breaking it down for us from all of your experience at at various places and now at ubs Uh, and so you did have quite a journey that you traveled throughout your career and i wonder as you think back and reflect what would you tell your 20 year old self
0: Oh goodness. Um, so I would probably say, never say never. And if you would have told the dot .com 20 something year old me, right, that I would spend now, what's the bulk of my career in financial services, um, and that it would be the best ride of my career, I, I would not have believed you. Um, I actually have a, a pretty funny story about that. So I was working at AOL, I was commuting between Northern Virginia and Cleveland where my husband was in school. I loved my job, right? AOL had just bought Time Warner, but 9-11 happens and things are hard. I'm not at work enough, I'm not at home enough, and I'm at the airport way too much. So I made the decision, that I have to leave, I've got to look for something in Cleveland. Because remember, this is a time where you need to be physically located, or was a time where you need to be physically located where your employer is. So the concept of being virtual, you know, more than one day a week didn't exist. So I made the decision to leave. We go to a, an event that night um, and I, I meet a family uh, a family member's friend who makes the mistake of asking me what I do for a living, right? And kind of like I've done in this time with you, I went on way too long. Um, and at the end of the conversation, he asked me if I was open to new opportunities. And I thought, well, just my luck, right? I made this decision today. How easy can this be? And he hands me a business card and told me to call him. So as soon as he walks away, I look at the business card, and it's a KeyBank business card. And I remember being really disappointed um, and telling my husband, not that there's anything wrong with KeyBank, I ended up working there, but telling my husband that I would never work for a bank, right? I've now worked for four, including KeyBank, plus one insurance company. And and when I called this gentleman, the, the job was not for the bank. It was for American Greetings, which was one of his clients. Um, They had just helped them do a a big acquisition, if if you remember uh, the days of animated greeting cards. So um, I wrongly believed as a 20-something that fun at work was tied to what the company made or sold. And I have since learned that it's not about that at all. I've also come to appreciate that banks and insurance companies, you know, provide pretty important products and services um, to consumers. Um, so in addition to telling my younger self never to say never, I would say that it is all about the culture of a firm and the opportunity to drive meaningful change, You know, which requires support from, from senior leadership. That's what's most critical.
1: Well, Allison, it has been a thrill and a privilege to have you on the Delighted Customers Podcast and so many gems here. I don't even know where to begin, but I just want to thank you so much for being a guest.
0: Thank you. It's been fun.
1: And Allison, if anyone listening wanted to get a hold of you and connect, what would be the best way for them to reach you?
0: Uh, Good. Uh, Please follow me on LinkedIn. I think I'm, I'm pretty good at responding to messages there. Um, disclaimer, unless you're trying to sell me something I don't need. Um, but, uh, that's probably the easiest place.
1: Well, Alison, once again, thanks so much for being on the show.
0: Thank you, Mark. Have a great day.
1: Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of
0: M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, and visit cxofm.org for more resources.